0: So, are you going to get the jab? It's a big decision. I know that most of us in here have done it. That's the, that's the request that our church council put out. Uh, but I also know there's people who haven't. Um, the CDC website says about one person in six in the town of Anchorage, the municipality of Anchorage, has not um, taken the COVID jab. And about... A One in five in the Valley and in Kenai haven't taken the, the COVID jab. So you're thinking about that, or you're probably, at this point, most of us are at the place where we're giving advice to people about what they should do. And I'm not going to be one of them. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you people online what to do. I'm not going to give you medical advice. And the reason for that is I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. I have been in a hospital room before It's one of, the, one of the things about my job Is I get to go to people's hospital rooms When they're feeling their worst And sometimes when they're dying And I've been at a lot of bedsides And I've heard people tell me What they were going to do There's times people have said We're going to really go aggressive on this And see if we can beat it And there's times when people said You know what I've lived a long life I'm ready to go There have been times when people said I want heroic measures and when they refused them. And there have been times when I thought to myself, that's not the decision I would make. But it's not my decision to make, it's theirs. And I don't have the wisdom to override their decision. So I'm not going to give anybody medical advice. I'm not going to start doing it now. If you ask me, what does our faith teach us about living and dying, about God's love, and about the world to come? I'll talk to you about that. But I'm not going to tell you what you should do medically. So, this is not really about COVID. If, if, if you were getting tense thinking that I was going to talk about COVID, you can relax a little bit. I saw some people kind of doing this. So um, you can relax a little bit because I'm not going to. But I am going to talk about decisions because we, our lives are filled with decisions. We have to make decisions all the time. The, um, there, I, was, I was reading that researchers uh, generally have, have accepted this number of about 35,000 decisions a day. That's how many decisions we make. Now, most of them obviously are very trivial decisions. Uh, uh, should, you know, it's dinner time, should I put the salt on first or the pepper? You make the decision instantly and you immediately forget about it. It's not a big decision, but there are decisions that you do make and you think about. Sometimes you think about them in advance and sometimes you think about them in arrears. (laughs) And, and you think, I wish that I had made a better decision. Um, but we make we make lots of decisions um, on, on the subject of salt and pepper. I read that that um, uh, researchers at Duke University think that people make an average of 227 decisions a day about food alone. So, so uh, I'm not going to offer you any suggestions about those. I do want to talk about the big decisions, though, because because the Christian faith has so much. To offer us in making better decisions, that there is so much wisdom in the, the the New Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures that will help us to make better decisions for our lives. And the beauty of them, and particularly the one we're going to look at today, is that you don't even have to be a Christian to to follow this advice. So if you are a Christian, um, then then that's just a bonus. You get to be a Christian on top of getting great advice uh, from. The Bible, but if you're not a Christian, let me assure you, um, this will not make you a Christian. Um, you know, there's not a requirement you have to be a Christian. Although, although if you find that 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 what we're going to see today is wise, then you may you may say to yourself, "Huh, I wonder what else in there is wise. I'd like to know more. If if maybe my assumptions about Christianity were all wrong, if something this helpful comes out of Christianity, so." So fair warning: if you're not a believer, you might wind up wondering if maybe you should be. So, um, so uh, uh, I want to talk about decisions, and, and the context in which I want to talk about them is this uh, reading you heard, which is I think probably the worst decision of all time. This, in the long sad history of bad decisions, this is the worst decision. Of all time. So, if you've got regrets, if you if you can think of bad decisions you made, maybe um, maybe you used to be married to one of your bad decisions. Um, if you can think of things like that, then you can say, well, at least I didn't make the worst decision ever. But there's something we can learn because it is such a bad example of a decision. It's it's a good example of a bad decision or a bad example of a good decision. So um, so because it is such a good example of a of a bad decision. Um, we can actually learn, it's like it crystallizes something. So, so what is this decision? Well, we read, um, our, our reading begins, the Pharisees went out and met in order to find a way to destroy Jesus. Now, that is a bad decision for theological reasons because, because it, it's, it's really sawing off the branch you're sitting on. If God has sent someone to save you, and you decide to destroy them, then that's a bad thing to do. So it's a bad thing for theological reasons, but it's also a bad thing to do practically because if you're going to, you know, the old saying, if you're going to kill the king, you have to, you have to actually kill him. And the problem with Jesus is he doesn't stay dead. So it's a practical problem. This is a bad decision for a lot of reasons. So um, why did they make this decision? Well we have to go back to the passage we heard last week and if you weren't here last week you can you can it's online so you can listen online and catch up that way but briefly what we saw is that uh the pharisees the the people in our in our reading um they brought a case to Jesus they they said okay rabbi you're so smart answer us this one and they bring him this this um uh, uh a puzzle this uh, um what's the word a dilemma they bring it to him, and they, they pose this question for him. They say, does the law allow a person to heal on the Sabbath? So the law says you must observe the Sabbath, and the law says you must be merciful. Sort this out for us. Does the law allow us to do that? And so Jesus says the law does allow a person to do what is good on the Sabbath. Jesus says, I come down in the sight of mercy, and he proves it. He says to the man, this man who had been brought before him, uh, he's got a withered hand. He says, He says, stretch out your hand. The one thing this man can't do, he says, Do it. And the man does it. And he was, and the hand was made healthy just like the other one. So that's what these Pharisees saw immediately before the verse we read. The Pharisees went out and met in order to find a way to destroy Jesus. They see something and they say, I know just what to do about this they say let 's get together, you and me and Fred over there, and you know let's gather together and we will figure out how to destroy this Jesus guy now, maybe there was some decision making process before then, but it must have been bad because it yielded the bad decision making the, the bad the worst decision that um, that uh, that has ever been made and so Matthew spares us waiting through that, but it is certainly the worst decision ever so um, what what can we say about decision decisions? Well, they've done, they've done kind of the basics. They've, they've gathered the data. They, they were there in the synagogue. They saw Jesus do the healing on the Sabbath. So they've gathered some data. And if we're facing a decision, we should gather data too. The problem with that is we don't know how much data to gather. And if you've ever tried to like navigate the CDC website or something like that, you may quickly be overwhelmed because I don't understand about PCR tests and things like that. So sometimes we just don't have the the qualifications to even interpret the data. So data gathering can be a very difficult approach. And um, uh, whatever whatever you know, you you don't know how much to gather. You know, have I gathered enough? So the problem with saying, well, let me just go find out what the facts are, then I'll make a decision, is it doesn't really provide much help in 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 reality. These people saw the miracle and they still made a bad decision. So what? What can we learn instead? Well, what we can learn is humility. It is—it is—you know—it is that one weird trick. You know, I—I I, I feel like an infomercial person because it's—it's it's, um, easy to do. It takes no preparation. It—it it, uh, requires no costly equipment. In fact, it's completely free. Uh, It's easy enough that you can remember it. When you walk out of here today, I promise you, when you leave our seminar today, I promise you, you will know how to be humble, at least one way out of countless ways that you can be humble. You will have a simple uh, rubric, a, a methodology that you can apply that will help you make better decisions. And so, what is that? Well, it is to say, you know, in my life, I remember this one time when I was wrong. (laughs) what if this is another one it's to ask the question what if just maybe just maybe I'm wrong and I don't mean you know never making decisions while I might be wrong about this I mean specifically saying what if I'm wrong you know and and here's let's walk through this So, so let's imagine that we are these Pharisees we're about to conspire together and decide how to destroy the guy who can rise from the grave so we've got a fool's errand in front of us, but but we're still at the early stage of this. We want we've decided we've decided. Okay, we must destroy Jesus. Now the humble thing at this point to do is to say, what if I'm wrong? It is to flip that statement on its head to say, okay, no, we don't need to destroy Jesus not yet. Now we don't believe that. We think Jesus needs to be destroyed, but but we we make a conscious uh, a mental exercise we go through of saying. But what if we don't? What if we don't need to destroy Jesus? And then the beauty of this is that instead of trying to gather all kinds of data and you know draw a little, you know, the, the T diagram with the pros and cons, instead of doing all that stuff, all we do is we look for any way at all, any hole in that theory. Instead of looking at the theory we actually have, the theory about destroying Jesus, we look for even one hole in this theory. We don't need to destroy Jesus yet. So we might say, well, we disagree with Jesus about the Sabbath. Okay, problem solved. We destroy him. But then, if we're Pharisees, we have to stop and think, well, wait a minute, we're Pharisees. The word Pharisee means we're separated out. We are kind of the religious elite. We have have looked at our big society, and we say, these people are wrong about everything. So, I mean, we do disagree with him about the Sabbath. But on the other hand... We disagree with so many people. I mean, where, where do we stop? If, if we start destroying everybody who disagrees with us on a fine point of the law, man, you know, it's just gonna be, you know, last man standing at that point. So what do we do? Well, okay, yes, okay, we, fair enough, but he could be a dangerous revolutionary, right? And if the Romans think that, that our country's about to rise up in rebellion, then it's going to be really ugly, and we know actually from history that it was. Because on several occasions, uh, these revolutionaries did appear. They they amassed a following, and then the Romans came down very hard on them. And there, you know, you can you can find memorials to this in Rome today, where they carried off the loot, and were so happy with that that they built an arch to commemorate it. So it would be very ugly if Jesus was a dangerous revolutionary. But then they have to say, you know. To be honest though, this guy is not acting much like a revolutionary. I mean, just look at what Matthew tells us next. Jesus knew what they intended to do, so he went after them. No, he went away from them. He turned and walked away. He's not spoiling for a fight. Whatever else you can say about Jesus, he's not spoiling for a fight. And say, well yeah, but maybe he's building a following that will, that will be part of his uprising later on. Well, maybe he is, but, but, what, what do we hear? You know, we, we had a spy who followed him when he left here, and he ordered them not to spread the word about him. So really, if he's a revolutionary, he's not much of a revolutionary. So, so he's not acting like a revolutionary. And, and remember, we must destroy Jesus now, right? There's always this idea of, you know, tomorrow, you know, we're going to be humble. We're going to say our decision today was wrong, and so tomorrow we'll revisit it. Right? If circumstances change, then we can always revisit it, right? But we're not going to lock in a permanent decision that's a bad decision. So, so we must destroy Jesus right now. And it's like, well, this is not a strong argument to do that. Okay. How about this? He prays on the vulnerable. He does the, he's a grifter. He's, he's some kind of huckster who goes from town to town. He pretends to do miracles and, and, and then he, he cleans out widows out of all they've got or something like that, right? That, that he prays on the vulnerable. And the problem with that is, you know what? We were in the synagogue. We saw the man's hand healed. The miracles are real. In fact, our spy told us that, that, uh, that, uh, large crowds followed him and he healed them all. So, he, he can you still be a huckster if, If you're actually doing the thing that that you promised to do, that's not much of a huckster. And, And by the way, you know, it's true, he does accept support from wealthy people, and he hangs out with rich tax collectors, you know, sinners and people like that. But you know what, when we think about the miracles we've heard about, you know, they're mostly... People who have nothing to be fleeced out of you know they 're a poor blind beggar they are a, a, a widow with with less than two coins there's there 's a, a widow who 's lost her son there's there's a lepers there 's people who are not in, in even in part of our society there 's demon possessed people who live out in the caves uh, Jesus is not acting like a huckster he 's going after the wrong clientele if he is and You go through this however many, however many process, you know, you need to, but the idea is you're not trying to justify the decision that you want. Instead, you're saying, what if I'm wrong? And then you're trying to find any hole in the theory that you're wrong. Even one hole. It's, it's the beauty of this system. And, and since you want to be right, you're going to try really hard to find a hole in the idea that you're wrong. But if the, if the Pharisees had done this, if they had said, maybe we don't need to destroy Jesus or don't need to destroy him yet, just imagine how much better they would feel, you know, two or three years later when Jesus rises from the dead. Now, let me give you a practical example, an everyday life example, okay? So, I need a new car, all right? That's, that's the thing I'm thinking. So how do I do this? Well, I assume, well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't need a new car, not yet. And then I try to find any hole in this statement, even one. So, what's wrong with my car? It doesn't run. That could be a very good reason, but we have to ask ourselves, can it be fixed? Because if it can be fixed, then I have a different question, you know, which is, should I fix the car or, or get a new one? But I mean, I don't need a new car immediately from that answer. Well, how about this? It's too expensive to operate, and, you know, it, it gets poor gas mileage or the insurance costs are through the roof because, you know, Lamborghinis are that way or whatever. You know, that may be a good argument, although, although it may lead to a different question, which is, if I can't afford to operate my car, can I really afford a new one? So there's a question there. But, but that might be a good reason. Uh, how about this? There's no room for the baby seat. Well, that's really a good reason, you know, because it, it's going to be either the car, something's got to go, the car or the baby. So, um, you know, most of us would pick the baby, but, you know, your mileage may be different. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But this is, this is how we act humble in the face of decisions. We say, I know it happens very rarely, but what if just on this one occasion I'm wrong? And then we say, nah, that can't be true. And then we try to prove even one way, one hole in the argument that I am wrong today. And, and you know, this is incredibly powerful. This is, this is an incredibly powerful idea, and it's straight out of the Bible. Jesus tells us over and over again, we heard it at different points in our worship service, that we should be humble. He is humble. That we should just consider, what if I'm wrong? I took classes in pastoral counseling. I've read books. I've gone to workshops. And honestly, it's hard and I'm not very good at it. But if I've learned even one thing, you know, honestly, if you come to me for counseling, I'll talk to you long enough to figure who I should refer you to because I'm just really not into pastoral counseling. I'm not somebody who's good at giving advice. But if there is one thing I have learned about pastoral counseling, it's that it's that this is an incredibly powerful question. if somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm thinking that I should get mar- uh, get a divorce, uh, maybe a better question to ask is, what if you should stay together? Can you find one reason not to and in some cases, you know yes, you know there's domestic violence or something like that there may be a there may be a perfectly good reason but there may not you may not be able to find one and so so these sort of questions um, are often amenable to this simple humble approach and if you think about it this is this is um, uh, this is found in, in uh, books on making decisions. You can find it, you know, you go to the airport, you know, the business books. There'll be things about how to avoid making the million-dollar mistake or some... And, and this sort of thinking, what if I'm wrong, is underneath all of it. Sometimes it's what if I'm wrong about this decision? What if it's how quickly could I detect if I was wrong? You know, how can I shorten the length of time so I find out sooner if I am wrong? Or, or what can I do now to prepare for the possibility I might be wrong? So, so this basic idea what if i'm wrong is an incredibly powerful idea and i don't make any guarantees except this this will help I'm not saying you will never make that you have made your last wrong decision but this will help you make better decisions and it will help you reverse the decisions that you've made that are wrong because you're humble It is the best technique I can recommend on making decisions, whether it's COVID or going to college, whether it's a career decision, whether it's should we, should, should I get married to this person? Should, you know, is now the time to start a family? No matter what the decision is you're thinking about, this is the best, the best simple technique I can suggest. Figure out what it is you want to do if you can. If you can't, then you just have to Repeat this process for all the possibilities, but you figure out what you want to do. Actually, sometimes by doing this you find out what it is you really want to do because you, you try really hard with one, with one version of this and you don't try very hard at all with the other because you really don't care. But if you do this, it will help. And really the only flaw with this is what I said earlier, which is it doesn't sound very religious. And I know it, It sounds way too practical to be religious. But, you know, there's no rule that says that religious things have to be impractical. My daughter died about a year ago, coming up on a year ago. And if by some miracle I had the opportunity to have even one more conversation with her, the first thing I'd tell her is how much I loved her and how much we miss her. But if I could, I would try and say, forgive me for all my mistakes, but maybe you're making one. What if you're wrong? You know, and and I would say this to anybody who feels that life is overwhelming, anybody who feels that that they can't go on, and God knows it has been a hard 18 months for a lot of people, I would say, what if you're wrong? Is there any way you can avoid locking in a decision that you might regret later? You know, is there any help you could get that would make it easier? See, humility is practical. It's saying, you know, I don't know the future. I don't know if things will get better. Maybe they will. So why should I lock in a permanent decision right now? And if you are not religious, if you're saying, well, this isn't religious stuff, this is just practical stuff, you know, anybody could teach, airport books will teach me this. Jesus told us a story about a young man who took everything his father gave him and went to a far country and made a lot of really bad decisions. But the father kept loving him. Even though the young man had cut off any connection, the father went on loving him. And if you're thinking God would never guide you, God would never give you practical wisdom to steer your life, maybe the problem is on your side. Maybe you do have a father who loves you the way I loved my daughter and who would... If there was any way possible, help you make better decisions. So I leave that with you. Be humble. Consider the possibility that maybe, just maybe, you're wrong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is overwhelming to think. How often you look at our mistakes and wish that we would turn to you for wisdom. How much your heart aches to see the, the troubles that we suffer. Lord, we pray first for everyone who is facing a big decision, a monumental decision, a life and death decision, Lord, that you would help them Consider that they might be wrong and make a better decision because of it. Lord, help us to be people who put this wisdom into practice, who make better decisions, who shine with your light in a dark world so people can come to us, not we going to them and telling them what they should do, wagging fingers in their chest, but them coming to us and saying, you seem... Have your head on your shoulders. What should I do about this situation? What is your secret, Lord? And then we can tell them there's no secret. It's just humility. Lord, make us humble people for all these reasons. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.